Dzień dobry, Jechi. This is the Flurza Experience, a show about Gwent, but so much more. And part of that so much more is my co-pilot here, the Chewbacca to my Han. It is Aww. the cycling... <clears throat> Excuse me. See, that's what I was worried about. We're okay. <laughs> I don't... I just got better from being sick, and now something's like just kind of being like you, you want uh, a little more you want a little, little bit more and i'm like no. tends to happen unfortunately <laughs> that sometimes it just creeps back out or you're not 100 percent yet and there is still something that trying to you know pull you down a little bit i don't know man i need like some i need some like some platsky or something some nalashnikis mm. to go some nice like warm comfort food right exactly either way it's nice to see you buddy Nice to see you. Hello, Flake. This is episode 15, 15, but we're not going to go into sports trivia or anything like that. But we're recording this on May 4th. So may the 4th be with you, Flake. How do you celebrate this day? You, the biggest Star Wars fan that I know. I don't know anyone that's a bigger Star Wars fan, fan than you. So how do you celebrate this day? Like, do you do anything special? Do you watch any of the movies? Do you play the CCG or... What do you do? I usually listen. I, and like, I never really approach this as like kind of like a holiday because in reality, it's like if you celebrate Christmas every day, how, how important is December 25th, right? In reality, I'm, I celebrate Star Wars every single day. So today is just... I respect that. I don't want to say it's just another day, um, but it's, it's, it's a nice day because everybody out there kind of makes an... Not to say makes an effort, but... They actively or proactively do something to appreciate Star Wars or to consume it or to share it to a degree. So I like today because people send me all kinds of Star Wars related stuff and like facts or or, or memes or stuff like that or pictures. And I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. But typically I'll, I'll usually do something along the lines of like um, read some Star Wars books or like a, com a Star Wars comic or something. I, it's not like I'm 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 out there saying, all right, it's the fourth of May, so I gotta sit and watch the entire trilogy. But if like I might throw on Rogue One this evening and like watch that because it's one of my favorites, or I'll put on like Empire Good Strikes choice. Back. Rogue yeah, One. Those are the best. Now I want to watch it. Now you maybe want to watch it. Because <laughs> let's be real, Rogue One is an incredibly great movie. It's it just is. it's it's I don't want to say it's flawless, but from start to finish, it does everything it wants to do exceptionally well. And I'm out of the ilk to say that rogue one is a probably a top two star wars like to me it's like empire strikes back and rogue one are the best out there in my opinion i i have the same feeling because empire was always and will always be my favorite and it's always in my heart and when i watched rogue one i was like this is something that is to that level almost. So I was, yeah, it's a, it's an incredible one. One of the best ones, I would say, from the new ones, of course. But I mean, I do have a sports fact right off the top of my oh, head. Yeah. Number 15, let's number, go. Number 15 was worn by Maurice the Rocket Richard, one of the Ooh, most iconic the hockey players in, in ever and is a, a cultural icon in Quebec and in the city that I was born and raised in, in Montreal. Uh, Maurice the Rocket Richard was uh, a former captain of the Montreal Canadiens, but he was also the first player ever to score 50 goals in 50 games. The first what? player ever to do 50 and 50. Uh, eventually, uh, yeah, eventually it, that feat was done by, I believe, like Mario Lemieux did it. I believe a bunch of other players did it. I think like Brett Hull did it. Uh, Wayne Gretzky did it the fastest. He did 50 yeah. goals in 39 games, which is incredible. But Wayne Gretzky is the best. 
But <laughs> fun fact about about um, Maurice Richard, including and in how he is so culturally relevant. And I know I go on these tangents all the time, but this is a really interesting fact about a, a, a cultural hit hero in in where I grew up. Um, in the playoffs, way back when, back in like the, I forgot what it was, like the '60s or '70s when he played. Uh, I've, I'm embarrassed to not know exactly when, but uh, he got suspended for I think like hitting a ref. Which back in the day, you could like p- players used to like smoke cigarettes like while they yeah, played. I know. Like, <laughs> Good <laughs> right? days, right? Yeah, back in the day. <laughs> so he he hit a ref and got suspended uh, during the Stanley Cup playoffs, and the Montreal. Um, was so up in arms about the suspension that they call they they started rioting in the streets. To oh, if, wow. if you Google the Richard riots, like the Montreal Richard riots, it's basically this gigantic city uprising where they like torched the whole city because they suspended their favorite hockey player. That's how passionate and crazy the city is for hockey. And that is uh, and that's it. Number fifteen, Maurice the Rocket <laughs> Richard. I actually, um, yeah, I just googled it. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, we are. We do not uh, mess around when it comes to our hockey team, baby. Like you suspend our I player, mean, we'll burn this place it, to the right? ground. Oh, for sure. You're, you're totally like known throughout the world for being you're, like having the best hockey teams, but also the best hockey players coming out of Canada. So I mean, duh. It's it's, it's like hockey and maple syrup is like those two things. That's us, baby. That's, that's us. That's you. And, and the nicest people, actually, because all Canadians are just super nice. Many of I've us... never met someone from Canada that's not nice. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. Like, it's just, listen, I mean, I live here, so I've seen, but I, it, who knows? Maybe the mean people of Canada are like the nice people of another place. Like, you, know, you never know. So, yeah, Poland's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had some great times in Poland. I don't think I've ever met anybody who was like rude or anything like that. Yeah. But then again, maybe I'm very just... like specific. I might be just naive. Like if someone was rude to me, I just thought it was like a they were being sarcastic. I'd be like, ah, it's funny. That's a good one. <laughs> you're right. I am. Maybe they said something in Polish, and you're like, yeah, 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 awesome, awesome, because yeah. okay, they were smiling. Yeah. Tak, tak, yep, absolutely, no problem. Oh my god, kurczaki. Nice. Okay, so we got the the trivia part out of the way. Now, what are we going to talk about this week? So this week uh, we will tackle the topic which we kind of. Uh, decided last week that we're going to talk about, which is physical versus digital CCGs, their pros, as well as their cons, where are they the same, where they differ, or knowing us, we'll go full spectrum everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we totally will. I've played uh, dozens and dozens of titles, paper and digital, so I've got a good, good, well-rounded thought process on this, but uh, we have to get to the Dagon Rumor Report, because that is incredibly important, Mr. Pavel Berza. Yes. Dagon has been spotted on the foggy mountain of Alpe d'Huez. He was wearing a cycling helmet and sporting a brand new specialized SL7 bike, going up the 8.1% average grade mountain and sweating bullets. Do Foriano he sweat? That's a, that's a good question. Do, do underwater creatures sweat? That's the that's question that I will leave to the community. Anywho, <laughs> he busted a wheelie and said, so long suckers, I ain't coming back. <laughs> So you know that this one was written by you because yes. when you say specialized SL7 bike, I have I'm like oh bike okay I've no- <laughs> like I'm glad that you that threw that point. in there. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to like put my cycling nerdism into the thing, 
because normally it's you coming up with all the all the cool, you know, um, there, uh, pop cool. culture references to cool all is the a stretch, though. nerdy stuff. It <laughs> is cool. It is cool because we all like that stuff here. Oh, man. When I was in high school, though, boy, oh, boy, was it a different story. <laughs> it was a different story, baby. You walk in with a Star Wars t-shirt, they're looking at you different, baby. They're not saying, hey, that's a cool X-Wing on your shirt. They're saying, hey, that's where my dictionary is going to be thrown. <laughs> That's, yeah. That's, look, look, look how times have changed. They now have. it's like it's everybody likes sporting anything that has reference to uh, either Star Wars, Marvel. Like it's it's become something that you know is not only for nerds, no losers. Well, yeah, but, but you know, it's the fact that nerds are cool now. And yes, yeah, baby, I bought it at the ground floor. Let's go. Um, exactly. All right. You well, were already there when they didn't even know it's gonna be awesome, right? Yeah, dude. Exactly. I was doing coat check in the nerd in the nerd clubhouse when everyone started showing up. So it's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, way back machine. You you did this one as well. Again, I appreciate you so much because I I was feeling really sick this morning. So dude, I, always. So I I typically fill these out and you did it and you did a good job. So you run us through this one because because uh, you did it. You deserve it. So yeah, the Wayback Machine in 2021, we had update 8.5 plus the Triss journey. Um, so Triss is, is making her, her comeback to Gwent in the, in the journey. Um, it was really cool. Apart from that, there were a lot of changes as far as I can see. So stuff like Enchanted Armor, um, some changes to Invigorate. So it was it was a pretty good one, but I think the uh, the most important thing was was the journey. But the three goals that we wanted to achieve with that update is making the weaker stratagem stronger and more tempting to choose for your deck, buffing some of the less popular leaders. So a lot. So we went through the leaders and kind of uh, boosted them a little bit, uh, and also made them a little bit more versatile. And uh, balancing the new cards which were released with 8.3 before that. So. All those things happen with update 8.5. Um, the patch notes are, of course, on PlagueOne.com if you want to we'll go way back and check them out. But yeah, Tris's Journey was also the, the, the thing that uh, stood out for me. That's why I added it here. Then in 2020, we had update 6.2, and this one was very, very chill. Apart from uh, this was the time where we had Arena, and uh, Arena was counting towards journey progression. So that was something that we introduced. But apart from that, it was very, not not the biggest, I would say, patch. It was a, a quite um, quick and small uh, one. Um, we fixed the, the installation process on uh, Android devices, because I remember that was problematic, especially with a lot of stuff being downloaded. Um, so that was update 6.2 in 2020 and in 2019, which feels like it just happened not long ago, um, CDPR la launched the official merch store on May 8th, exactly, um, where we had shipping only to Europe and there was some Gwent stuff, some, uh, cyberpunk stuff and the Witcher stuff and, I had the you know the possibility to to model some of those things, which was a really cool experience, which I still remember. And yeah, it was awesome. Wish wow. I could do it again, but uh, I don't know when that is going to happen since we're still working mainly from home. All right, I got yeah. a, I got a question for you. I just realized today on the Plague went Twitter, it says "May the fourth be with you." Mm -hmm. May the fourth be with you. 
I want to know if there's any influence of me that got this account to to do this. How much of uh, my Star Wars influence on the Gwent community? I woke up this morning and I'm like, damn, it's May 4th. And mm-hmm. then I wrote to Ryan, let's think of something uh, with our graphic designer. And then we had a meeting with the said graphic designer and he pretty much came with uh, with the art. I just said, I just want Vilga Ford's Renegade on it because he looks very he's got, Star Warsy. Yeah, he's got some so, Darth Maul double-bladed lightsaber yeah. action going. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's probably your influence on me caused this to become a post. Okay, so that's yes, all I, I, feel, wanna... I feel like I feel like you have contributed to this for sure. Thank you. Because I retweeted it and I just was I saw it and I was like, this is awesome. And I do think that it's a very good portrayal of like because Vilgefortz does kind of look a little bit like a Sith, like in this regard. Like he if, does. You, if you if somebody out there wants to take this image of Vilgefortz. And turn it into double-bladed lightsaber, like it would. I think someone did when we were doing the reveals. I think someone did oh. and actually said, or oh, cool. Oh, I was. Or it was us in the studio um, when we around. first saw the art from the artist. We're like, this is people are gonna have like strong Star Wars vibes with that card. Some people are like, no, they probably want somewhere like, man, it actually does look like a lightsaber. So maybe. Uh, it looks so cool. It looks so cool. Yeah. Vilgefort's Renegade, dude. Just honestly, somebody just photoshopped the tips of that, like, of his staff or whatever he's using there. Just mm-hmm. turned that into a double-bladed lightsaber. And he ha- he's wearing, like, Sith-esque style cloaks and stuff. It's so cool. Again, tangents aplenty. He, uh, has, a, he has a nice, uh, nice look to him. I have to agree. It's really, well, really cool. One of my uh, favorite portrayals, this is the young Vilgefortz before his face gets, you know, half of it gets melted, but it's also the Vilgefortz that, yeah, was was fighting with that uh, staff. And he was very, like, supposedly very good with it. So that's why he's holding the weapon in the card art. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, today's topic, ladies and gentlemen, is physical card games versus digital card games. And... You know, you'd think that there's, uh, um, obviously, there's going to be a lot of overlap in terms of, you know, they're both card games, etc. But there's so much different, I find. And I was sort of thinking about this for a little while in terms of everything associated to, to either a digital or a physical card game and where those points don't you know, overlap. There's a lot of differences between the two. And I think it's worth talking about both um, because, frankly, what I've come to know or you know, obviously, I'll never be able to know exactly 100%. But I am, it seems to me the most people I interact with when it comes to Gwent, the vast majority that play Gwent don't really play other card games. They don't, and they, and even more majority than that have never played a physical card game. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, obviously. Um, but this to me, I feel is something that the Gwent community is, is quite unique to the Gwent community because I know that a lot of my friends who, and people who I've interacted with in the community, and I've been very active in the magic community. I've been relatively so, so active in like the Hearthstone community, exceptionally active in like Mythgard and everything else. When these other games, the people of these other games typically have played the competition or they've played the other options out there. If you've played Magic, you've probably played Hearthstone. If you've played Hearthstone, you've probably played Legends of Runeterra, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Gwent, to me, is a very unique beast in that regard because I find that the a vast majority of, or, you know, a, a significant majority of the players out there who play Gwent have not even touched another card game. They're just very, 
um, entrenched in Witcher lore and they enjoy Witcher uh, and such. And and actually, it was Christo who actually said this to me, which was very insightful. He said, I think that a lot of the appeal for people who play Gwent is not necessarily that they're card game fans, it's that they're Witcher fans. And yes. I'm... And I think that that's very accurate. And and I mean, it might not specifically relate to you specifically who's listening right now, but to many who are listening, they'd be like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Like, I got into this because I like The Witcher, right? You know, but that said, there needs to like, there's so much out there that cross pollinates, be it culture wise or design or strategy wise. And there's so much that physical and digital card games do not cross pollinate at all. And Gwent is even more unique because it's even more isolated and, and different within its own realm of digital card games. But I'm going to ask you first on this. Um, do, you, do you prefer, like on a very macroscopic kind of broad stroke here, do you prefer digital card games over physical card games? Even if, the, if it's the same game, let's say, like Magic. Like Magic is probably the best option oh. because it has two, it has both, you know, yeah. it has both, both platforms digital and, and physical are completely fleshed out they're completely yeah. supported which do you prefer uh before i answer your question i just wanted to go back and address something that you said about like gwen players mainly being gwen players and i feel like to some extent it's, it's it's true but i feel like it is also changing the more i talk with people from the community the more i'm seeing people uh like find gwent of course, without any previous CCG knowledge, but also players that, for example, haven't played The Witcher, but they watched, for example, the Netflix show. And based off of that, they checked out that there's a card game with characters from that and that there is a, um, there is a game and like a whole RPG based around it. But yeah, I agree with you that the, the base, the foundation for Gwent as a uh, you know CCG was the fact that it was in The Witcher 3 and after you played it in The Witcher 3 apart from doing all the important quests you kind of got into it and you're like oh this is this is cool like it was it's a first card game for these people to kind of to check out um there's more of course people who just play Gwent for the sake of playing Gwent and I feel like it comes from the fact that it's different and we always highlight this than any other CCG that we played and because we can't compare it like normally the majority of of card games that we see on the market they have some similarity which is mainly the mana system for example um or they take inspiration from a card game that was before them which i feel like magic is kind of you know is the elder elderest here and 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 when it comes to being the oldest one and a lot of inspiration is pulled from it and I feel like it's Gwent feels like it's totally separate to all these to all these card games, to, to Hearthstone, to Legends of Runeterra, to anything that was before. Like, you know, people still talk about Artifact the the way it was. It was also it was also different. But I feel like, yeah, it's a it's a different community. It's a different uh player base. But some of them are just people that play Gwent standalone and haven't played Gwent in The Witcher 3. Some of them come from The Witcher 3. But I feel like the majority of these people, when I talk to like anyone from the community, are like, "Well, I haven't really, you know, touched magic or anything like that, so it's it's fairly new." And coming back to your question, uh, I have to say that for me, I like to have both. I I do not I do not like focusing just on the 
digital aspect of the game. I like actually the ritual of sleeving up a deck and sitting across from someone, getting to know the person from like a social aspect of, of the whole thing, getting to like play against them, uh, to check out a binder if this person has a binder, check out some cards, maybe buy something, maybe trade something, maybe sell something. And I feel like it, this comes from the way how I was introduced into the game. So I was introduced to Magic as a kid in middle school where someone brought cards in a box um, and we had lunchtime and that person showed me the, the collection of cards that he had. And from that point on, I got hooked. And I remember like trading, I don't know, lunch money to get a couple cards or trading some toys to get some cards. And, you know, it was kind of the the process of, of getting to know this. And then when I was a little bit older, I would actually go to like a local, um, you know, game store and they had like Warhammer and other stuff, but they also had um, Magic the Gathering and they actually had binders. And And I love the aspect of just going, opening up a binder full of cards, flicking through them. And it either comes from my um love for hoarding stuff i love like collecting stuff um which i i, I feel like you probably do because i mean yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> look at look at the background that you have <laughs> um and i and i just love that aspect of of collecting stuff and actually having this physical presence but i love the accessibility of the digital platform that in between meetings or in the morning, before, after breakfast, before I go out on a bike ride, or at the end of the day when I don't want to, I don't feel like I want want to watch anything on TV or whatever, I can just sit down, fire up the game, find someone somewhere in the freaking world playing the same game that I am, you know, playing here, connecting and having, you know, a one-on-one -on -one match, which is just incredible, and I think. It comes with, the, of course, with technology and its evolution, but I still love going back to the old school and actually having the possibility to, you know, play against like real people and having this whole like ritual around it, so to say. Oh no, you're 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 not wrong there. Um, the the whole sleeping ritual to me is also I, like I love that too, and especially it's been happening to me a lot lately, you know. Especially when, when I, especially when you take something super seriously, where you're like up to the, you're up to down to the wire to the eleventh hour to submit a deck list or whatever. And yeah. what people need to, like people, people don't know if you're if you haven't done the physical card game thing, is that like if you're going to a tournament, you have to submit your deck list on paper to the person, and then you're subject to deck checks, which is, yeah, um, if you get to the, you know, like they're random. Um, it depends on the the scale of the tournament. But the most co the most competitive tournaments that I've been to, once you hit top eight, um, you get a deck check, which means that they yeah. take your deck list and then they look through everything. But what for me the most, like you said, there's some certain satisfaction that's to be had when, like I remember um, there was certain tournament weekends and when I was finalizing the deck that I was gonna bring to some of these tournaments that like in some of them I won, like I I did really well, but like so that the, the that effort paid off, but that effort was essentially me up to like one in the morning the night before finalizing like one or two cards that I was trying to rationalize and I was yeah. testing and whatever. But once that's done and your deck list is done, 
Like I go online, I print the deck list of what I think, and then I go through the deck list and I'm sleeving the cards and sleeving the yeah. cards and going through my collection and picking them out and whatever. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm like, I got to use the first edition one. I can't use this one. or I got to use the foil one. I can't use the, the... There is satisfaction in that. But the, the you know, like for... I had this discussion on on my other podcast about um, people who've come only from digital to get into Flesh and Blood and um, and thus paper card games because that only exists in paper card games. And I think the what people are are missing by not being in a paper only game or not having a presence in a paper only game is they're missing the fact that the metas are always in flux and they're always mysterious and that mm-hmm. is so damn cool because listen and this is i don't want to say it's a complaint it's merely a reality it's not a complaint at all and it exists across pretty much every digital title if you're playing a card game and new stuff comes out it is mostly solved within a week for the most part you might have mm-hmm. these rogue decks that appear to shake things up or people get more creative but for the most part the usual suspects of the top of the meta are solved and are uniformly solved for quite a while it's not like it's gonna it's solved for this week and next week it's a whole different ball game typically the main decks bubble to the top they get refined they get changed people try to counter them etc in in paper only card games that stuff might seem solved but it is only solved for where you play so that's exactly. one LGS that you go to where there's like a major tournament and maybe 50 people show up. That micro meta is only true to that that little region because if you go 100 kilometers west and you go to another card shop, that meta is different. And, it's different. And when, you, when everybody culminates to these big tournaments, they're called callings in Flesh and Blood, mm-hmm. when they all culminate to a big city like Indianapolis or they go to you know Vegas or here or there or Los Angeles, and there's like 500 people playing in these tournaments, they are all there with their own idea of what they think the meta is. And it is a cluster F of of craziness, which is so fascinating because the way that it goes, they might know, like if I'm going to equate this to sort of to make it more Gwent familiar, if people, if everybody knows that Scoia'tael is the best, they might all agree. Like the, the global community might agree that Scoia'tael is the best, but every part of the world is going to think that a different leader ability is better than the other. And within even further within those leader abilities, people are going to think that it's, there's different ways to play it. Like if, you know, the global community might think that Square tells the best, you know, North America might think that, um, dead eye, elven dead eye traps or what are they called? Um, uh, dead eye ambush. Dead eye ambush is the best, but then Canada might think, that traps dead eye ambush is the best whereas america might think that swarm is the best and then you can even subdivide that and say yeah. well you know well gourd traps is better than pure control maddock traps and the, so that's <laughs> kind of how it goes and this is what people are um kind of missing when it comes to this now obviously not everybody can dive in but it is a it is an um, immensely different beast because you're not queuing into somebody from you know Pakistan or you're not queuing it to somebody from the UK or, or or South America or all across the world. You're not queuing into those people. You're just queuing into the people that you know from your neighborhood yep. when you go to an event. And that's a whole different ballgame. 
Yeah, local local game store um, meta is is a different meta. Like, of course, the decks due to like due to us having this big online uh, platform in which we can actually take information from, kind of makes it a little bit easier to find the best decks. But still, I feel like in some card games and some formats and some card games. The, the the possibilities that you have in terms of building something cool and interesting and different is so big that you can create like things that people haven't heard about or haven't seen. And I also feel like whenever there is any big pro tour in magic or anything like that, after a new set drops, the you can instantly see after the tournament, like people are starting to play, play those decks. But before that, it kind of is is quiet. It's kind of on the down low, and nobody mm-hmm. knows like what's going on, unless these players, for example, play it on Arena or Magic Online. Uh, but probably Magic Online for the, let's say for the older formats, but not for standard. But Arena is is a place where you play standard, and after that, they kind of pick up those decks. But still, I feel that in the the physical form, there are a lot more tech choices, a lot of changes based on players' preferences, but also sometimes changes made to decks based on budgets because some players don't want to like cash out and spend a lot of money on the physical like the physical card game. Maybe uh you know they 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 want to have more of a free to play experience, maybe just you know playing the the let's say substitutes for some cards which cost a little bit less. And that already makes those decks play and, and, you know, feel different. And sometimes some cards you're not expecting. Um, and that's what makes it cool, right? Because there, there's just so many more possibilities. While in the digital form, you have, uh, you know, people, something that people always complain and something we talked about, we have net decking. So it's very easy to do. Um, for, for Gwent, you just import your deck from, from the PlayGwent uh, website, so it's very easy to do. Um, for Magic, you go to MTG Goldfish, which kind of pulls all the information from Magic Online and also from the, the previous tournaments that happened. Um, if it's like a modern showdown, it's very easy because it happens Saturday, Sunday, so you're able to um, check out which people played and what decks they brought to the single card. And you can see kind of what they're playing, what they're taking against, uh, which matchups are different for them. So there's a lot of data like present. Back back in the day, without all this, like you would go to a store and you would find out what the meta is. And I still feel like you go to a local game store, you find out what the meta is. And you need to adjust your deck in order to play in that meta and have fun well, and it- win. Uh, and win yeah that's that's part of it what's cool about the paper only uh landscape is that um so uh, myself i'm i'm part of um like a a discord group of some of the best players and personalities in flesh and blood and uh that includes like we've got like the the uk national champion the u.s national champion multiple Mm -hmm. um like local like regional champions are part of it and um, I I owe immense amounts of my success in the game as a player to practicing with these players, and they would beat the crap out of me. But like I'm playing and practicing with the best, and yeah. and it helps. But what's fascinating is that ahead of major tournaments, and the most the most major of these tournaments is occurring next weekend, which is the um the the pro tour, like the first pro tour in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. 
it's basically like the the top tournament in the entire circuit. It's like these yeah. are the best players in the world that are at an event for you know tons of money. Anyway, that said, ahead of any major tournament, there's always every night, every single night, there's like eight or ten of us in a Discord call playing one game, talking yeah. about it. But what's fascinating is that part of the discussion is not necessarily about the deck and the game that we're playing at the moment, because literally there's what we do is there's one person playing another person in with decks that we think will be prevalent, and then there's eight eight minds walking through the turns to discuss strategy, card selection, sequencing, all this stuff, just to optimize everything. Eight that minds. amazing. It's crazy. It's crazy. But part of the discussion is also about okay, what have you heard? What have your sources told you? There's this yep. kind of spy network of espionage that goes on. Now, obviously, it sounds a lot cooler than it actually is. It's legitimately people who are, you know, amidst our group who are keeping their ear to the ground to listen and say like, oh, well, so-and-so was, uh, was streaming earlier today talking and practicing with this particular deck, and this is mm -hmm. a, a card I saw them play, which yeah. might be on the radar and this and that. So there's... It's not like you're queuing in again, like the 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 difference between paper and digital beyond just accessibility and ease of play is that at on any given day of any popular card game, there's hundreds of thousands of games that are queued into. Like I don't know what the metric or the exact data is for 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 Gwent, but I would imagine A that <laughs> yeah, I would say that like you know between Gwent and like and MTGA and and Hearthstone and Legends of Runeterra, these games have probably like you know several hundred thousand queued up games a day to their to their credit which means or that even more or even more yeah i don't know the the metrics i'm like probably lowballing the hell out of this but how many of those how many flesh and blood games do you think take place on any given day in reality maybe a thousand like people of actual yeah. paper games are played on a on a day you know on on tournament days like fridays or saturdays i'm sure it's way more but it's nowhere near so like just solving metas in general and having accessibility because like you mentioned, if somebody comes up with something cool and plays it, eventually people will queue into this person and reverse engineer what they're playing. They'll see what they're playing and they'll come up with their own ideas and eventually it'll bubble down to what it is. And mm -hmm. based off of sheer repetition of and, and reps in in uh, <clears throat> of that particular game or deck or whatever's going on in a particular day, it'll eventually solve itself at an exceptionally accelerated pace. For paper, what's cool about it is that you have pockets of people not just creating the metas within their own space, but trying to connect with other metas to solve yeah. it on a more global picture. It's it's to break the meta. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like quote unquote meta breakers. But the difference with paper versus digital is that the meta is incredibly accessible and and apparent because it's it's out there being solved at a fast pace. And once it's solved, it's out and common knowledge a lot sooner so people can plug into it. Um, yeah. Paper cards aren't the same way. Now, magic is different because magic now is a digital client where people will solve mm -hmm. it digitally and then buy the cards buy for stand. The, yeah. yeah. But man, it's, it, it's absolutely a different beast because somebody, I will say this, the one of the most important things for succeeding in a paper-only card game is having a team that you can rely on to help, you know, play against, practice with, and bounce ideas off of. But if in in the digital realm, obviously it's easier if you have a team. It's a lot more viable for you to succeed if you've got a support system. 
but you don't necessarily need one because a really good card player can just jam, you know, 12 hours of games a day and have the same amount of exposure as a team of three playing four hours a day, you know, and sharing that experience. So that's kind of, it, it. that's a very fascinating part of just the two, the dichotomy of paper versus digital. Yeah, it also brings me, once you're talking about this, kind of brings me to a point that there is this similarity between digital and physical, that there are teams that form around um, a chosen card game in this case, but they form, I think, for different reasons. For the digital card game, which is, let's say, um let's use Gwen for an example it's just to have uh, this hive mind when it comes to pro players when they can discuss plays uh, discuss choices of cards within the deck and just play test together right and and this is this is of course something that they already know the meta um the only changes within decks might be tech choices or maybe also a kind of like a spy network where uh, players from one team say, okay, these are the guys that qualified. We played against them on ladder. This is the decks that they normally play with. What do you think they're going to bring to the tournament? Oh, they might bring this and this and that. And then, okay, so how do we prepare for that? So we prepare in this and this way. We bring these decks. Um, our tech choices are this and this and that. And then we kind of see if this actually you know, will work out for us. And that's pretty much in the digital one. In the physical one, I feel like it's more difficult to get all this information. And I feel like before any major tournament or whenever a new set drops or whenever, um, you know, some, something something new is going to happen or something that you, you cannot anticipate because you don't know what the meta will be on the uh, tournament, these teams kind of come together and actually, you know, form like the foundation for what's going to be the meta for the next couple of weeks, for example. So. It's 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 much different, and I think it's just something that you mentioned that the digital platform pretty much you have all these things kind of solved for you earlier, right? And here in um, in the non digital way, you're kind of you're creating all this kind of from scratch. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So from a strategic standpoint, there's clear differences here, and um, the chief advantage, frankly, uh, I find between you know succeeding in paper versus not succeeding in paper is having a support system and having yeah. a network and having a team um in digital in digital you don't need that right you can you can yeah. pretty much grind it out on ladder but i think it's uh, i think any any good professional player will need a support system and it has been done so many times in all the card games that i know that i feel like it would be stupid try to just you know be yourself and focus only on you know on getting all this information by yourself because I feel like it's it's just adding a lot more stuff to your plate apart from the fact that you also need to be playing and being competitive on ladder but you also need to be doing your homework right so you, it's hard to do both things at once mm -hmm. with a support group or like a discord with people that um, can pretty much tell you what's up it's much easier to kind of thrive there right so in that five-part article series I wrote for mm -hmm. for Flesh and Blood, the whole, the whole theme of the of the article, all five pieces, it was like ten thousand words total, was how to go from casual player to competitive player. Like, how do you elevate your game? How, like, basically, you've uh, you've attended tournaments, 
you enjoy them, but you've never won one and you want to win a local tournament. Not the big one. You don't want a world championship. You just want to win a small tournament. So I walk through all the steps that you yourself as a solo player can, can do to go from that point onward. And like you mentioned, a lot of it starts with um, prep and having access and, and having a team and making, you know, in the, the, the process of, of being able to plant those seeds to start growing your network and, and, and learning and whatever. Anyways, if anyone's interested, again, the, game, the, the article is for flesh and blood, but in, in reality, mm-hmm. the, the... It the, applies to... Yeah, the most. lesson applies to every single card game that you want to yeah. get better at. Anyway, um, now... I mean, we talked about a little bit in terms of just the, the sheer differences in terms of meta and how things shape up and, and stuff. But uh, another main part about it is just sheer enjoyment of of playing paper versus digital. And like there are pros and cons for both. And uh, I want to just list off a, a quick list for me. And I will always a thousand million percent play in person uh, if if I had the choice. To me, that is always the better experience. And like you mentioned, even just the sheer tactile enjoyment of putting a card mm-hmm. into a sleeve ahead of a tournament. Like, people don't understand how that feeling of when you're putting that ca- those cards, like, let's put it this way. You and I, you and I have both done a bunch of MTG drafts or sealed yeah. sealed pools. When you sit there and you finish your draft or you open all your packs for a sealed tournament, and you're looking and you finalize your deck of 40 or 40 some one cards or whatever. By the way, for me, fun fact, I play 41 cards. It's just Ooh. I and the reason is I go 40. I go 41 because it's a every single um draft tournament that I've ever won or went 3-0 in or whatever, I've always run 41 cards, so now it's in my mind. It's like nice. it's a, now yeah. that's a superstition. 41 cards is what I what I do. Um so just more more lands in this case, or or just more well, more cards. If when I play forty, I run sixteen lands. Okay. Because I'm a psycho like that. A lot of people are like, no, you got to mm-hmm. run seventeen, and I'm like, no, uh, no, no. Depends. If depends I'd, on your curve. Yeah, well, that's part. It's part of the curve as well, and the color, and like how much like colors you're running. Mm-hmm. If I'm running two colors, I'll go sixteen. And alias sometimes would be like sixty lands. Mind you, like this was when we both kind of started out, so maybe we were both wrong. But she used to be like. You got you to put another land in there. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a crazy man. All right, back off, bitch. I got this. So, um, so uh, anyway, but that feeling of you have all your cards unsleeved in front of you, you settled on your 40 or 41, and that feeling of when you're, when you're putting them into the sleeves and you're like, anything can happen, baby. I can go 0-3. I can go 3-0. and I can win the big one. I can get the prize. I can do everything. There's a feeling of just... It's it's bubbling with all kinds of opportunity and you don't know what's going to happen and you sleeve it up and you could feel it in your fingers and you you start shuffling the cards and you're wondering, you're like, am I going to get that perfect hand? Who am I up against? What colors are they going to play? What's going on? There's so much anticipation that just is is at a at a just zenith when it's at that point, when you're just getting to that point where you don't know, you don't even know who you're you're playing against. And yeah. ev- anything can happen. There is so much enjoyment in that, and I cannot, I cannot, uh, like, under uh, overstate how good that feels. Because when you're queuing up Gwent and you're sliding cards into the deck builder, and you say, "Okay, go play," that is not the same feeling at all, yeah. friends. Uh, uh-uh. uh. Yeah. Plus, I feel like this is the aspect that I, that you kind of we touched upon in the beginning. It's like this ritual of 
of actually collecting all these things one by one. And that's also why I kind of like constructive formats because I like um, getting single cards in the mail mm -hmm. uh, through the post, opening them up, looking at them, sleeving them up. And whenever I want to build a deck, oh, I, I go into my binder and I start pulling cards out of it, put them on one side and then sleeve everything, put the deck together. And I'm like, there it is. I've built it. It's 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 there. Like and it's much different than going to an in-game client and just slide, yeah. slide, slide. This, this, this. Done. Okay, let's play. Right. It, it's, it's not much. The... It's, it's there's just there's you don't have this like whole ritual. But the other thing is that you just have so much stuff, so many cards, and some of them are relevant. Some of them are not relevant. Some of them are just like bulk commons that you don't really use. They might make a comeback in a different meta maybe someday and you will pull them out and actually use them but there's just there's just a lot of a lot of stuff that you need to need to have and i just feel like it also if once you get to the um the physical aspect of any card game you have the sleeves you have the deck boxes you have the play mats you have the albums you have all the dice all this stuff and you just keep on hoarding, hoarding, and getting more of it. It's just crazy. Like I, I don't even know how many playmats I have, but I have a lot of them. I can oh, tell you that. I and I, with I, albums, the same, it's man. like one, two, three, four, and it just you just get more albums because you gotta put in those cards somewhere, right? So it keeps on growing, and and then you have like a, you know a ton of stuff around you, right? Yeah, and then you have a second mortgage on your house to pay for it yeah. all. <laughs> That's kind of how that goes. Uh, I'm 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 definitely with you there. Like when it comes to the supplies and the and and all that stuff. Mind you, my binders are like they're all here on a on a shelf. They're all actually show and tell. Show and tell. Like I mean, come on, you can't go wrong with these. Like having oh, all this stuff in like thick mother form too. Oh my god. And that's uh, just one binder. <laughs> I oh, have there's like all four your of these dual lands. Oh, I see them there. You got like cliff tops and everything. Oh my god. Oh, there's some, some goblin chain just... whirlers I can see. Yes. Oh. Some old old stuff, some new stuff. A just Johnny. a mixture of pretty, pretty much everything. I saw a treasure map there. Oh god. Some cards in like different languages too. Like, dude, you you like you collect this. I mean, how can you not collect it? Like the collector aspect of these cards plus the shiny foils and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you gotta love it. Is that a Teferi time raveler up there? Yep, yes. that is. Everyone hates and that. Hero card. of Dominaria. Oh, Hero of Dominaria. That's from that was from Dominaria. That was a great set. Great set. Yeah. I'm, and then I'm, you have these beautiful boxes that open up with like magnets and stuff like that. And you have cards and beautiful sleeves and stuff like that. I actually double sleeve everything, which is even worse because you need to put one sleeve and then you put the one sleeve into the other sleeve. So just gotta, more work. But it is cool. I love it. I gotta get you hooked up with uh so one of my sponsors for the Instant Speed podcast is BCW, BCW Supplies. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, if you go to bcwsupplies.com, use the code ISP10, you can get 10% off all nice. of your orders, all of them. And uh, Blake gets uh, gets help off that too, so it, it supports the podcast. So please do it. Uh, no, but they make great, great products, and I'm not just yeah. saying that, but you're right, I have so much. And part of the sponsorship is that they sent me like this gigantic care package, and they're like, do what you want with all this stuff, but this is a lot of nice. our best products. So I have... They sent me like a case of like, here's like 40 deck boxes. I was like, Ooh. so I've been giving them away to like, patro like Patreon 
members and giving them away to like in giveaways and stuff like that and to people like i i see like every time i go to an event i stuff my uh backpack with random bcw supplies and everyone's like hey are you flake i'm like yeah he's like oh cool I like your podcast i'm like cool here's the deck box and they're like whoa <laughs> i'm like yeah i didn't pay for that but it's all good like it's a- nice anyway but play mats that's another one because some people get real horny for play mats and I'm maybe not that type. Like to me, I'm a creature of habit. So I'll, yeah, I'll jam the same playmat basically almost every single, I've been using the same playmat, I think for like five years and I've won a whole bunch and I've acquired so many. What's this one? Champion? Is this like an FNM champion? I was just a game day for Oath of the Gatewatch. And so is that the one that you bring to tournaments? Like, you know, like everybody has a play. You know what it's like? It's like showing up to a wrestling, like a wrestling match with the belt. Like everybody yeah. slams it down because it's, it's literally like you're, it's like a medal, right? Because some of these you win for it winning is. tournaments. Exactly. And I have one from, um, that I won from a, a, a like a thousand dollar tournament. I went undefeated in that tournament. I beat a lot nice. of people that, that gave me absolutely zero respect. So beating them felt real good. I won the thousand bucks and I won their first place playmat after nobody gave me a single sniff. I went undefeated and dumpstered everybody. That said, that that first place playmat, I don't even bust it out because I'm like, I want people to think I suck because that's better. So I show up with Same. a ratty ass like Same. solo brand, like like self branded playmat, and I'm like, hey guys, what's going on? Like, what is this flesh and blood? Let's have a good time. All right, <laughs> and then they're like. This guy is a clown and then just yeah. full clown car, full speed ahead and just dumpsterize him. But is that your go-to playmat? No, actually, I, I, that's the one I just keep nicely. I, I, most, I try to keep some of them in a the tube, some of them I don't. But the one that I always take is like the, the worst ratty one, most likely. For or sure. just one that I love the art on it, maybe. It's just one that I'm rocking at that time because I'm, I'm in, into that art. Take it and I'm, I'm happy with it. It's funny because also to like magic tournaments, people also come with like Pokemon or anime and stuff like that. And you're like, who the hell is this? And then you get smoked <laughs> by that person. And you're like, yeah. okay, yeah. now I see what's up. It's yeah. just, it's just a little mind games, right? It's just a little mind games. It's like when you queue into a Call of Duty lobby and you hear somebody they sound like they're eight years old, and I'm like, oh, this yeah. guy's gonna smoke me so hard. It's like, I'm get <laughs> yeah. Absolutely posterized. Um, yeah, that's always a fun experience too. You sit across from somebody and they slam out their like their playmat and it's just gigantic like anime titties on it and you're like yeah. what the hell i'm like okay and they're like yeah i'm like all right no problem like just make sure that you cover up all that stuff because it's freaking hideous <laughs> like <laughs> it's part of the mind games i guess like yeah but yeah i would dude i would just man like i would pass by my bapcha's house and just pull some random schmata out of the out of the the closet and be like this is my playmat like here we yeah. go <laughs> it's like some doily worst one possible like, exactly here we go yeah here this one this one has like uh like sour cream stains on it from pierogi yeah. night so sorry <laughs> we're good <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean the, these this these things they're nice collectible items they also also show off players personality for me they are the kind of vanities within the the non-digital world like that you kind of show off like people show off the deck boxes I mean, there are people who do reviews for deck boxes, play mats and sleeves and stuff like that based on their durability, you know, and stuff like that. Like shout out to, there's like this guy, Tolarian Community College for- The for professor. Does, 
The professor does freaking amazing stuff. I love him. I've been a big fan since like day one. I always remember watching his kind of reviews for sleeves and stuff like that. So he was. I uh, mean, he was supposed to do. Thing. He was supposed to do the podcast on in January, but he uh, he had some scheduling conflicts, so I couldn't. Oh, I couldn't man. get him. Up. Yeah, he was going to do the Flesh and Blood podcast, and I was super excited. He still wants to, and like he's still going to, but it's just a matter of just kind of. I don't want to bother him. <laughs> so yeah, he's always You're super busy, super man. busy. Um, yeah. Um, the other thing that I want to get into before we go to the mailbag, um, is. I think it's 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 worth talking about the part of the this is economic as well, and it's incredibly different. And I know that I've had a lot of conversations with people and why they avoid paper card games or why they'll never go back to paper card games. And a lot of them will say it's just financially difficult to keep up with. And I can very much, and you could probably as well, vouch for this <laughs> to the yeah. nth degree. I got into Magic the Gathering. Uh, no, I always collected Star Wars cards, but I was a broke high school student when I did, and I didn't. I like I was relying on, you know, working at a coffee shop for fifteen hours a week or a movie theater or whatever, and whatever money my parents would give me to buy to buy cards or whatever they would buy me. So it was limited. I wasn't like, oh, a new set came out, let me buy a few boxes. It was a new set came out, I'm gonna buy two packs a week, or like, or like you know, when I'm there, I'll buy a pack or two or whatever. Um, now that, like, when I got into Dominaria, I would, I was like, I think it was like five years ago or when it came out, like 2018 or something like that, at four years ago. I mean, like, I had a great job. I was making good money. I'm going to buy cards. And I stay, I got onto the train and I got into standard and I spent a crap load of money and I tried to be competitive and then rotation happened and I'm like, I got to do this all over again. Like, oh my God, I can't afford this. Like every set that came out, I was buying like I was buying two boxes plus a bundle plus filling out whatever singles I needed. It was it was legitimately like four hundred three to four hundred dollars every set, which was like three or four times a year. And I'm like, I cannot justify this. And I completely understand why some people avoid it because it is incredibly expensive, whereas yeah. digital, it's free to play. You know, and if you want to accelerate your process, your progress, you can pay money to buy more, more, more content. But like this is this is a significant chasm between accessibility of a digital versus an, like because you could play Magic in paper, but you got it. You need to own the cards, or you can queue into MTGA and queue up with any of the starter decks that they give you and earn the progress along the way. And that's that I think is also a major chasm between the two yeah yeah you get to pretty much uh play in the digital platform and uh, get kegs or get packs open them and try to get the best cards uh mtga does this thing that if you open a certain amount of packs you also get a gear you also get one of these wild cards that let you craft a rare if it's a lot of them it's a mythic rare so you're able to kind of build up your collection so this aspect of it is is much more convenient that's one thing and since you mentioned standard rotation i have to mention something that is important in both like competitive magic but now also in flesh and blood and i think also in, in other physical card games which is the fact that cards get banned and if cards get banned well they rotate out and i have a lot of cards which used to be good used yeah. to be worth a lot but then they got rotated out and they got banned and now they're worth pennies because yeah. they're not played in any format so you're stuck with them that's that's uh, <laughs> one definitely one of the realities i know that because i'm like oh i have 
Uro or Luros or all these other ones, and all of a sudden it's yep. like band. I'm like, like Throne of Eldraine was just a gigantic green band fest, like between Oko yeah. and Veil of Summer and well, uh, Oko was broken. Well, <laughs> Oko was Broko for sure. But um, what's funny about it is like if you put Oko against some of the other cards that have come out in strategies, you're like, oh, it wasn't so bad. Yeah. Like unban it, let's yeah. go. Um, yeah, it depends. There's always there's always this uh, this talk like maybe it's a good time to unban something, and sometimes uh, MTG is known for this that they sometimes go into formats and they unban unban stuff, and uh, things can kind of come back in, and it makes sense. Um, but this is this is kind of the point. Since we're moving to the mailback shortly, this is the point that I want to highlight here that this is where digital for me is always going to be king, is the ability to go back, rework cards, fix stuff, change the abilities, adjust things on the go, work on the meta on a monthly basis. Like this is something that is, this is a tool that enables digital card games in order to keep things fresh, but also to not have players feel like some of the cards that they have are kind of losing they're you know they're losing the value or they're just losing the card as a whole because they can't really use it unless maybe the card becomes obsolete and is not played but then it comes to the developer to kind of go back and fix that and kind of make that card usable again without uh the, you know without the need of banning something and just having the whole thing go out the window um Last last point I wanted to touch upon also is something that I've heard a lot of and people discussing was the possibility or the viability uh, to any degree of having Gwent as a physical card game. And unfortunately, that is massively impossible um, yeah. for, for multiple reasons because paper card games... Um, you, you're, you, the rule set for paper card games is the fact that if there are any r random elements or creatable elements it is almost it has to exist within a certain parameter in paper card games if you want to have an rng element you are basically you're you're stuck within the parameters of a coin flip a d6 mm -hmm. or a d20 that's all yep. you have that's the only um element of randomness that you are allowed because you need to have something that everyone has access to and everyone can understand, which is a 50-50 or a D6 or whatever. Those are the only yeah. options that you really have. So there are some cards that have rock, paper, scissors also, but those are like the funny ones. Yeah, those are the those are those are fun too. Uh unstapled, unglued, and all that stuff. Yeah, but those are those aren't like tournament legal kind of yeah. things. But they are different elements to sort of determine, but that's not necessarily RNG because there's a certain human element to it. However, um, and like, for instance, for create mechanics, like where in Gwent you have, you play a runestone, you create a card um, of, of a pool of three or whatever. In paper versions of this, the only part, the only way that you can do that is to have a card that accesses your sideboard. That is mm -hmm. the only way that you can quote unquote create something from outside the game. Because yeah. it's not like in Magic where it's like create a random black cre flying creature. And then suddenly you're digging into a random pool of a thousand creatures or whatever that exists. You open a big box and yeah. you get to pull something. And out you of shuffle it. it up and pull it. You can't do that, yeah. right? And same thing for Gwent. In Gwent, in paper, how are you going to use a runestone to create a random card? How are you going to use a bribery? How are you going to? And on the other hand, how are you going to create a random effect like a, um, uh, you know, a trebuchet that is going to hit something in the back yeah. row? You know, if there's if there's seven units on the back row, how are you gonna do it? It's like okay, I gotta you know this is this then then if it's a 
you know, like how many how many dice are you rolling? Precisely. So there are there's a lot of um, rule sets and and random elements that you cannot translate. And the other thing is create again with create. Like how are you going to play? How are you going to play something like uh, a runestone and then randomly create stuff? It's just not it's not feasible uh, in that. But a lot of people have said we want a physical card game. But you can't play it. Like I understand from a collectability point, and I've had a, a crap ton of physical card uh, Gwent cards here that usually throughout the year I'll actually mail, like I'll mail them to people like that ask for them or whatever. I actually mailed out an entire Squayatel deck, sealed Squayatel deck, to nice. somebody. Somebody on Reddit was posting about the fact that they really wish there was physical cards that they can buy, and. I had I had answered and said, oh, there, there. I think there were or they existed. But I don't know where they are anymore. And he was like bummed out. So uh, I DM'd him and said, hey, send me your address. So I sent him an entire Aww. sealed deck. So Good he was pretty. Like. He was th- he was th- well. To me, they're living on a shelf, and they would give somebody else a lot more joy than just living yeah. on my shelf. So I wanted to share that. So, um, but from a gameplay perspective, you just can't do it. The, the, there's yeah. there's a framework of rules that Gwent goes beyond that. It can no longer exist. Yeah. Yeah, a game needs to be optimized to be a physical game. Easy clap. And that that is kind of if you're if you're focusing on a digital platform, then of course it makes sense. And it's really interesting because um one kind of thing to add here, like Magic recently did something for the very first time, which is actually introducing Alchemy, if I remember correctly, is the name, mm-hmm. which is uh, a, a format that they do in which it, which is in Magic Arena which they actually have the possibility to alter the cards and actually change the abilities. And the cards are different than the ones uh, that you see in normal standard um, and lets them pretty much work on cards within the platform itself. So I feel like it is some step into more into the digital sphere of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's also one thing that I wanted to add to this. But there's some really effed up rules about it, by the way. Yeah. Really, really effed up rules. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into it because you've already like blown past time, as we usually do. Yeah. But really close. And I know that Alias V, um, who edits this, is knows this more than any of us. Uh, yeah. And she could probably sure. put in a thumbs up or a thumbs down emoji between us <laughs> if she agrees or dis- disagrees. But Alchemy was uh, poorly received. I believe it was, I don't want to say maybe it's poorly supported, but it is not uh ideal and it's not a very people aren't very keen on it not to mention when things get changed in alchemy sometimes they don't get changed they don't get changed in paper yeah so if you bring the card that you're playing in alchemy to a paper tournament it they don't operate the same yeah there's also cards that are like changed in certain certain formats digitally but Mm -hmm. not in paper but Mm -hmm. in a paper the the card is one way if it's in the precon, but another yes. way if it's not. It's it's so mm-hmm. so. Alias, give me a thumbs up if you think that uh that that Alka that you agree with me that alchemy was not well received, and a thumbs down if you think that uh, I'm wrong. We'll see what she I says. Think we know the answer. Yeah. Nonetheless, uh, two last things yes, before two, we move on. I will not say um, anything after this. You you talking. two two last things when it comes to digital versus uh, physical. So digital, we highlighted uh, the the positives. Uh, same goes for um, for physical. But one important thing is like collector value. Like if you collect stuff like this. Oh, okay. I have to say things now. <laughs> plus, like these guys. I oh, mean, they, they they're they're gonna be money makers. Okay, wait, 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 somewhere wait. in the future. Is that 
okay, is that that's not a reprint? That is the original OGs of the the famous trio. Uh, yeah, these are all 1999. Um, this one's actually sorry. This one's actually graded, and I also have one which was a reprint in 2016, which is like a reverse hollow. But this is a normal hollow, so the Charizard is like flickering, and this one's like reverse, so the frame is flickering around it. So. This is a nine. This is an eight uh, out of ten. So oh. yeah, they're you gotta keep those for you know for. Did you um, buy it graded or did you send it in graded? Actually, uh, someone was selling them online for a good price. Uh, I checked them on the website because you can check if the card has actually been graded, like how many are in the world yeah. with this grade in this condition, and it turned out to be legit. So I I actually bought it as a as an investment. Well, no, that's not a bad investment. Let's be real. Yeah. It's like when when people used to say like, oh, you spent like a hundred dollars on a comic book. I'm like, yeah, and then yeah. And now that comic book is worth about you know fifteen fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. So I'm like, bap, 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 suck it. Yeah, no problem. That's how you do it. Uh, listen, I invest in what I know. I know nothing about the stock market. I know nothing about crypto and all that other stuff. So I invest in what I know. That's it. That's all. Same thing. Got a and box of sealed product from of Star Wars products from like third twenty five years ago. It's still sealed. It's still in in the boxes. And value on that stuff is like ten times what I paid for it. So again. It's only valuable if I sell it, though, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And one last thing for um, for the physical cards is if, if you're a Flakes friend, you get a Christmas card and with uh, it, you get cards inside. That's true. This is this I'm is this is this is what makes a physical card games a little bit better that you well, actually can get a card with cards. As a, as a, as a, you know, of course you have in, in Gwenly, like you have the digital option to send someone a gift and this works, but you also have the possibility to actually do it old school and mail something to someone. And it just feels like there's so much thought and heart put into stuff like that, that you, you appreciate it so much more. Well, I'm, that melts my heart that you kept my Christmas card and the Star Wars cards there. Um, and funny, you should say that because legitimately right after this, I've got a stack about this high of envelopes of um, flesh and blood promo foils that I'm sending to Ooh. sending to like some of my Twitter followers. And like, again, like I'm very lucky because I get access to a lot of cool stuff. And the company LSS Legend Story Studios that makes flesh and blood, they send me they send me stuff. And it's like, here's us like be it spoiler cards. And that's another cool thing where I know I've spoiled cards for Gwent before and I've had a great time for it, but there's a whole different thing about when they send you a physical card that no one yeah. in the world has seen before but you. And you're like, you open up that envelope, you're like, oh my God. And that's like a whole, it's like, Aww. yeah. <laughs> so I get a lot of cool stuff. I get play mats and, and, and they send me all kinds of cool stuff. And to me, I'm I, like, what am I gonna do with 50 play mats? So I send them out to people. Like they sent me a stack of foil promo cards they're like, here, we had some leftover, you know, do what you want with them. I'm like, I'm giving them away to people because people are awesome. So. Nice. Anyway, if you want Respect. some, I'll, I'll, put a, I'll put one aside for you because they're pretty That'd be nice. nice. All right. That'd be nice. Okay. Let's do I'm the mailbag, ladies and gentlemen, because I think we've uh, cruised through this topic heavy handed. Yeah. I think it's a topic that could be like um, two, three episodes, but knowing us, probably more. Probably like So, that. yeah. Um, straight to the mailbag. Yeah. Let's do it.
we have one thing in the mailbag from last week, actually, which was uh, this uh, question from Static Panic on Twitter about the implementation process for new cards and sets, how it pretty much looks like. So the broad process that I got from Molegion, who is working on our balancing team, is first, we consider what we want to achieve for the expansion. So the overall theme, the mechanics, and etc. Then we then they consider what they want to achieve for a specific faction slash archetype, what I need in terms of support, how they want um, this archetype or faction to evolve. Then they brainstorm ideas, looking for effects which are exciting, original, which target, um, depending on the target that they want to achieve in that case. Then they go to refining the ideas, taking into consideration power level, uh, UX, intuitiveness, and stuff like that. So is it, is it you know, what's going to be the user experience uh, with this ability? Because the ability might be exciting, but it's going to be super hard to explain to people. And I know there are some cards that kind of came in with Forgotten Treasures that people are like, wait, how does this actually work on paper? <laughs> and then they actually had to play the card, like Mysterious Puzzle Box, and actually see it in in you know in in the game and how it works in order to understand it better so that's that um then they test the cards once they already have like a pool of cards let's say um so it's not just one card but if they design like a whole pool of cards they test this pool um with the whole let's say you know already existing card pool and the existing decks and archetypes that are played in a given meta and after that, they iterate on the design if necessary, uh, namely when cards don't answer their expectations or end up working in the way they want them to. And that is pretty much when they go from, from idea to finished product. I can't add to that because I don't have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, that's kind of, but this is, this is of course, in broad terms, and I feel like you know, um, I'm just telling you kind of what what I got from Legion. But he said that you know, uh, for these type of things, it would be even better um, for them to kind of address them, and let's say on Twig or maybe on a special episode of Flurza, where you can have someone from the balance team as a guest to kind of go into details about these things. Love it, love it. Um, next question is from Zayad Tarek. Thank you so much again. Mm -hmm. um, always great questions every week. Asking, should Gwent have more contracts, more contract rewards? Do you like contract hunting like Geralt does in The Witcher 3? Well, I am a self-proclaimed um, achievement whore, like big time. I love that little dopamine dopamine hit every single time something goes bling or something like that. Like, you know, like I am totally a sucker for bells and whistles. If I go into a casino and I see a slot machine that's buzzing and has all kinds of flashing things, I'm like, ooh, you know, like... It, I don't care that I spent $5 on this spin. I won 50 cents. Like, that's huge because there's all kinds of little achievements. I am all for that. And that's really something that I think Gwent, um, when it introduced it, I think it might have been one of the first to introduce it. I know that Hearthstone has a very, very robust, but it, it's robust. It's, it's very broad but shallow uh, achievement system, I find. Like, every time that you're playing in Hearthstone, you're, like, achieving something new, be it, like, you know, play X amount of mechs or play, you know, 50 mechs, 100, 1,000. You're always you're always progressing towards something. And I find that's important. And Gwent's contracts, I think, were pretty solid. But mm -hmm. I think that there might need to be a lot more that are in there. Because even yeah. 
the thing about Gwent's contract system I find is that even though there's a ton of them, there's a ton of them, a lot of them are are the same. They're uniform, they're duplicates of let's like play a hundred, you know, win a hundred games with this leader, win a hundred mm-hmm. games with it. And like once you boil down the like thousand some odd quests that exist, I don't know how many there are, but let's say there's a thousand. Once you boil down a thousand, you're looking at like maybe you know, 200 unique ones, you know, that are, yeah. are, are unique. And that's fine. That's still a lot. And you can still progress to do other things. Uh, but I'm always for seeing new kinds of creative contracts um, as part of the game. And but again, a lot of this always falls on like where on the priority list does this fall? I mean, if we had a laundry list of things that we'd like to see, I know mine is pretty long, but like ultimately... Um, I want to see more contracts because I am a contract achievement whore. Uh, for me, no, actually, I'm not the I'm not the contract uh, achievement whore, as, as as Blake would say. Uh, for me, it's it's a thing that it's nice to have, but I don't feel like it's it's a 100% need. I also have the same thing when I'm playing any other game. I do not look at achievements or stuff like that or trophies earned on PlayStation and stuff like that. I, it's cool to have them. It's really nice. I'm not the type of person that needs platinum in games also, so it's not something for me. But I love the fact of um, you know playing the game and actually by mistake discovering that I unlocked something. It's just fun. It's just fun. Adds another layer to to the whole experience, and I I, I enjoy it. I feel like Gwent needs more contracts. Um, but for me as a player uh, specifically, it's not something that draws me into the game. But thankfully, like we have a whole team that is responsible for this, so um, they love to implement these things. So. Shout out to them for doing that. So, yeah. Good stuff. Next one. Next up, Michael Loda from uh, Twitter. Can we hope for a new Gwent art book in the future? Michael, as I saw recently, got uh, the the first um, Witcher book. Um, So the art of uh, Gwent, the Witcher card game. And I would love for us to do a second. I think it was done with um, Dark Horse, if I remember correctly. I would love to have a second one. Question is when we can do it, but hopefully I feel like based on the amount of art that we have, we could do like two or three or even four because there's just more and more art actually coming into the game. And there was also a question about displays, when there are going to be new displays uh, coming into the game, uh, like to the store. And that's a good question because uh, you just reminded me that um, that I need to push someone from our business development team in order to have more displays come in. So thank you for that. <laughs> there you go. See, now that person that you're going to go and send an email to is going to be like, God, yeah. God darn it, that person. Uh, yeah. From um, Reddit. Thank you. Paralas at Silite on uh, Twitter saying, uh, what do you think about the number of cards in the deck uh, from game design perspective today it makes no sense to have more than 25 cards but back in beta there were viable 40 card nr decks maybe a 25 card limit should be made or the potential 25 card plus card archetype could be supported it's a very fascinating question Mm -hmm. um and here's here's part of uh the answer the fact that there's a 40 card nr deck was basically a gimmick that was meant to support old school full test, I believe it was, where mm-hmm. you boosted every card in your deck, and then there was like a card I think that basically like sucked up the rest of the boosts yeah. in your deck. So it it was important to run that many cards. Not to mention 
40 card full test was because there was no provision system. So you yeah. you didn't have to worry about overstacking and having a provision limit. So that's why 40 card decks back then existed. Um here's part of why I find it fascinating that Gwent p- people who play Gwent many of them don't know an, an, or don't have any experience in any other card games because most other card games absolutely a thousand percent want the fewest minimum the most the most thin deck that they could possibly have that if if you can go to a magic tournament and bring 25 cards you're probably doing that because you want to make sure that you're getting what you need like that's kind of to everything you want exactly (laughs) so i get it that like there could be opportunities to run 25 plus cards but they're always going to be gimmicks because people will always value consistency and reliability and and deck thinning to um, a gimmick for the most part. Now, if you're looking for a deck that runs more than 25 cards, um, you're looking at Enslave because you want to jack it up with oh, as many tactics as possible to get mm-hmm. Enslave five, six, or even seven or more. Who knows? Like, there's enough tactics out there to go crazy. But that's kind of what you have to lean towards in that regard. So again, is uh, Enslave, you know, six or seven a viable meta style list or is it more akin to the 40 card full test? Now, the 40 card full test was pretty competitive at the time. It was okay. But again, we've seen that in tournaments, if I remember correctly, we did. But things have changed and the provision system is in place to balance decks and balance cards. And in this case, you know, if you want to support these 25 card plus decks you have to understand that they're going to operate within a provision limit and that means that you're going to take away from more powerful cards to fit more cards in and you know so do you have a leader that supports that like like to me anything above 25 cards is typically within the uh the gimmicky range you know and that because people will always favor reliability to uh you know a janky win condition let's say yeah, I think it, I, I I fully agree here with you. Like we have provisions for for a reason. Um, yeah, forty card in R is is kind of a, a deck that was a little bit different than what we have, and I don't think it it will ever make a comeback. And in that in that version of it, it made sense. But in the current version, how Gwent works and operates, I don't think um, it would work. And of course, I also agree with the statement that you know any deck. In any game right now, you want as streamlined as possible. You want the minimum because you want to always pull the best cards. Um, and there are, of course, some interesting, weird strategies in which you put actually more cards within your deck, and they provide a different um, uh, play style and feeling to the whole thing. So this would maybe make sense in like a new format, uh, but I don't think it would make sense in the in the standard format that we have within the game moving forward. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. All right. Uh your turn. Yeah. Saint Mirane, Mirani, something like that on um, Reddit. Uh you often talk about magic, flesh and blood, etc. But are there any non-card games that you think are good inspiration for Gwen cards, Gwen ideas in general? Artifact was obviously a failure commercially, but it had some really innovative ideas. And I think its inspiration from Dota stands as proof that looking outside the genre can have great results. Well, I I mean, so this is the one thing. First of all, this is an excellent question. And, and I'm glad that this was asked because this is a very, very great question. 
Um, however, I do find fault in this comparison because you're saying that, you know, are there any games outside of the genre that, um, you know, Gwent cards or, or Gwent in general can take, uh, you know, take inspiration from? And then you say Artifact took inspiration from, from Dota. Well, Gwent takes inspiration from The Witcher 3, exactly, which is not a card game. So that's where that's coming from. Now, to so I, I, that's why I feel like this comparison might not be spot on because it, Gwent is, you know, to Witcher 3, what like Artifact is to Dota to a degree. Now, I don't know if the uh -huh. characters, do the characters' cards in Artifact, are those pulled from Dota? They are, right? I don't know. I think I, so. I think so. I'm not entirely sure. And again, if I'm incorrect, then I apologize. But from what I understand, I believe that the character cards, so it's, again, the inspiration is in the source material. And, and the mm -hmm. source material is, you know, is Witcher 3. Gwent takes the characters. The rule sets are unique. The, you know, the game is unique, but the, the inspiration for it is different. You know, it's like saying, um, for example, uh, you know, like, I'm trying to think. Uh, you play Star Wars Battlegrounds, like a, a first-person shooter. And you're like, well, you know, like, it, it, it does it take, you know, does it does it where does it, it it takes its inspiration from Star Wars? Wasn't why doesn't Gwent do that? Like, you know, but at the same time, yeah. I feel like, if, are there any other non-card games that Gwent could pull um, inspiration from? There's got to be. There's so many in, in fascinating board games, and card games, in my opinion, are kind of like. There's to a degree like board games when you have pieces that exist on a board that you can manipulate and move around. Feel that's important, and I feel yeah. that 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 there is you know some common ground there. But I'm trying, I'm, I'm struggling to find what other rules from other card like board games that Gwent could kind of lean into and, and get inspired from. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult one. I feel like the 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 place where we can pull innovative ideas from is games that have a multiplayer aspect to them and i think we kind of do on the vanity front because we have leader skins we have a battle pass a lot of games have battle passes within them which is our journey uh through which you can you know unlock rewards by playing and stuff like that these are kind of all the things that where we kind of pull inspiration outside of maybe the the, the just the ccgs and of course, not all card games are created equal. Some of them have different progression systems. Some of them have different stuff. Not all of them have reward books and stuff like that. So I feel like there there is, of course, room to look at our competitors. But when it comes to looking outside, well, we have the whole freaking Witcher lore that we pretty much can look into. We have the books. We have the Netflix show. We have the games. So Witcher 1, 2, 3. And I feel like it's a, it's a constant place where we kind of can pull inspiration from and it's really funny because um we were discussing this um that there are if you if you play the witcher 3 now after playing gwent first you have a lot of things a spoiled b you hear a lot of voice lines from the characters when you're playing Witcher 3. You're like, shit, that's a card game. I mean, that's 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 a card that I know. That's a character that I know because I, I know it's portals. a card, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like all these things, like you, you know, you 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 don't really think about it, but then you like gets in your ear, like, oh, I know this is a taunt, right? This mm -hmm. is something that I saw in Gwent. And when you played Witcher 3, like I did before. You did not have this association with Gwent in any way. But now when I play Witcher 3 after playing Gwent, 
I pretty much like I fished those out and I'm like, huh, you know, that made me smile. That's awesome. I I think I figured something out. Well, I say figured it. I have an idea and I want because I want to answer this question. And I think that if, if have you ever played Catan? Yes. Okay. So for those who don't know, Catan is uh, um, a, a, a board game where basically yeah. you're developing on a, uh, a board of various hexes and you place settlements on corners and each mm-hmm. hex that is all like they all touch each other. If you place a, a thing on one of the corners, it'll touch three different squares. And yeah. basically you gain resources based on where those squares are. Are touching or what mm-hmm. what you're set anyways that's kind of how it is but the point is you're developing settlements you're acquiring resources and you're trading with opponents in order to expand your settlement and have almost kind of like this resource generating machine that you can then trade things and in complete missions to get points and win the game now that said there is a mechanic in the game cards k-a-r-d-s called the front mm-hmm. line and the front line is Imagine, um, imagine a, a a game of like Hearthstone where or Gwent, but instead of you know each opponent getting the same amount of rows that they can live on, they each get one row, and the center row can change hands. And there mm-hmm. are there are advantages to owning the what they call the front line. So mm-hmm. both players have a support line that doesn't change. And then there's a center lane that, like, a center row that both players can play on. But in order to play on that row, you have to either develop in your back line and move it forward, or mm-hmm. you can deploy directly to it sometimes, etc. Yep. That said, I think that it'd be cool, a cool concept to have, again, it would require a v- massive rehauling of the game, which I do not recommend, but <laughs> a middle row that was sort of neutral that if you played to it you can if you play to it you get certain bonuses so this to a degree also can replace the stratagems because if you go first you can automatically play to the center row um which could grant bonuses like what if like the the bonus for the center row was like units on the center row get plus one you know or boost the random unit on the center row by one at the end of the turn and Mm -hmm. There are certain cards, and you either can kill that unit and then play to it. Only certain cards can directly play to the center row. Like, it's a different concept. But, like, to me, what I'm trying to draw inspiration from is the concept of owning a particular domain, a particular territory for for benefit. So that's what I'm trying to pull from Catan to Gwent. And that's, I guess, mm-hmm. kind of the inspiration yeah. that I'm looking from other source material, much like the frontline system in cards. Well said. <laughs> Thank you. All right. <laughs> Next one from Dogma94. What is your favorite song or choreography from the high school musical movies? I've never seen one, but I can. Me neither. Okay. I'm going to just high say. Five. Yeah. Well, <laughs> high five to the, through, through time and space for that one. But I will guess that my favorite will be the one where everybody was picking on the nerd. And then when the nerd had their chance to sing or dance, they were exceptional and they blew everyone away. And then all the jocks and all the, the people that were bullying the nerd suddenly realized how cool the nerd was and became friends and apologized to the nerd. I don't need, I've never seen a single high school musical anything. And I'm, I suspect that in the, the vast media circus and, and amount of content that there is for high school musical, I'm guessing that there's at least one situation that was exactly that. And that's my favorite one. <laughs> 
Perfect. <laughs> I would I would agree. I haven't also watched any, so it's hard for me to um to pull anything from this. I'm not a I'm I'm not a big musical also type of guy, so it's not it's not I know people love that, but not for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um two more. Mm-hmm. Um this is a really nice one from Phantom Mag. Of course, it was downvoted, and I think it was just downvoted on purpose. Yes, so we somebody actually... figured out our yes. system. Somebody said, "I'm gonna uh, like." Someone actually wrote as a comment to this this question, saying, "No offense, but I'm gonna downvote this one because I know that that's the one that they are going to pick." And you are totally exactly. correct. You're paying attention. Yes. So, hey, beautiful people, what motivates you to keep going forward when you're feeling down? Is there anything you do, any life advice you would give to us? That's a pretty deep one. And uh, again, thank you uh, for constantly supporting the show, Phantom Mag. You're uh, an an awesome human being. Um, I was at an all-time low uh, in the past few years, multiple times. I think, in in all honesty, and I'm not ashamed to talk about it because it's, it's a reality. And I know that there's a lot of people that out there that might resonate with, with this, but I mean, I was in the hospital for 111 days, nine weeks of which I was on a ventilator. I was completely paralyzed from the neck down. I couldn't talk. I couldn't breathe on my own. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. I could just shake my head and blink myself. And that was my life for nine weeks before I eventually started to move, regaining feeling in those weeks of basically living on a hospital bed you know in exceptional pain that that you don't get much lower than that you want to do things to yourself that you never thought you would ever cross your mind you go to very dark places so what motivates me going forward when i'm feeling down well part of it was let's be real part of it was knowing that or getting the messages and the support from people out there. Like my 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 father was exceptionally, uh, you know, a, a hero of mine because he was there almost every day, and he would show me just to even sit by. Like he was only allowed there for like an hour a day, but he showed up. He drove like an like he drove half an hour every day to come see me. Uh, and not only that, but like my parents uprooted themselves at the drop of a hat when I was admitted to the hospital. They they got up from their homes they drove six hours to toronto and they lived here in toronto for four months from that point onward like drop of a hat like they with the clothes on their back they got up they drove here because they thought i may have just had a bad cold or something but they did not go home for four months so those kinds of supports those kinds of things keep me going to understand that like you know and i understand that not everybody has the same kind of support system but I realized that when I was there, that there was so much that I, that I, that I was missing. There was so much that I, I wanted to continue. And it was my own motivations, perhaps, in certain degrees, but also the fact that there were so many people that I loved and so many people that loved me that I wanted to talk to again, that I wanted to see again. And I also knew that, you know, sometimes it takes getting to the bottom to realize just how strong you can be to get beyond it. But now that I got past that, and now that I'm, you know, I, I got beyond that, like nothing's nothing's as hard as that's going to be. So I always bank on the fact that things will always get better. But the part of that is that doesn't diminish how bad you feel on a given day. You need to You need to give respect to how shitty you feel on any given day. 
Because if you don't, if you dismiss it, you're not doing yourself any justice. You're not doing yourself. You need to validate your own sad feelings. You need to be able to understand that it, it does happen. And that doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that things might not be going a way that you want them to, but they can change. And they do change. And you need to stick to that because there is always better days ahead. Now, when will that be? Who knows? Because I'm telling you, even around like January, I was in some pretty, pretty dark places. But if you just sit back and, 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 you know, give like honor that shitty feeling, because if you don't give it the time, it will never, you'll never get past it. So life advice, honestly, be kind to one another. And I'm telling you, if you go around with the mentality that you have no effing idea what people are going through, don't make judgments. Don't be rude. Don't be like, be out there and do good for others because it will come back to you, man. Like it's a scientific principle. I always say, I know that I'm not like, I'm not one, I'm not a religious person. I'm not a, necessarily a t too much of a superstitious person when it comes to stuff in that regard. But it's a scientific principle that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transformed. So if you, if you take mm -hmm. negative energy and transform it into a positive thing, there's more positive things out there and therefore more people will be uh, come in contact with that positivity and therefore it might change their own, you know. So be the positive force and it will come back to you. You know, the more good you put out there, the more there is for you to bump into down the road. And that's kind of, that's just science, baby. So that's how I justify it. Well said. I think you you knocked it out of the park. Um, for sure, having a support system amongst friends, uh, family is is very important in this case. Um, I feel like also having a, a pet in the house helps. Uh, so someone that can you know uh, pretty much support you if if you don't have anyone, let's say very close to you nearby. A pet can always be this. Um, I will always say any type of sport is going to be supporting you in some way. I feel like sports like running, like cycling, let you clear your mind and get rid of the negativity. Also get really tired, get some endorphins running in your blood. And they're very good for clearing out the head. So if, if it's a day that there's too much going on, then you just feel like you're overwhelmed and you're feeling down because of that. It's good to actually focus on something else. Um, and sport actually does that very, very well. Uh, I feel it's a little bit cathartic and it kind of, you know, it clears, clears the mind and you, you start focusing on different things. Um, of course, I agree. You need to, you need to kind of maybe not cherish, but kind of be prepared that there are going to be days that you will be feeling bad. You will be sad, unhappy. Um, the only thing that you can do is what Flake said, you, you can try to turn this somehow into a positive thing or always take into account that there you know even there's if there's a lot of bad stuff going on there might be something that changes the way you feel by someone just i don't know saying hello to you on the street or i don't know whatever or someone telling you have a nice day uh when you're at the grocery shop which can actually is is a small thing but sometimes can kind of influence you in a positive way so whenever you feel like you can do something nice and something positive to someone else do it because you don't know, you might be improving their day or taking their focus out of something negative and channeling it to through something more positive. So those those things for sure. 
And yeah, let's let's not be afraid to actually, you know, be sad or unhappy or frustrated because it's all part of like the the emotion palette and it's part of like you can't be always happy and things can always be going your way because if they were, well, you wouldn't be learning anything new, you wouldn't be developing as a human being also because I think we we take a lot of stuff from our failures, but we also learn a lot from them. And maybe this can be something that, you know, you're sad about or angry, but remember that it's something that is temporary and will move on. It will change. Maybe it will become a better experience in the future. And maybe it will also, through this, like, experience that you gained throughout it, you might be able to use it in the future to have a positive outcome out of it. So those are kind of the additional things, apart from what Flake said, that I want to add to this. I just want to throw one more thing out there for those, like, I, I cannot stress this enough. And and a lot of people will do this, but they, they just are maybe unaware of the effect of this. But when somebody comes up to you with an issue or a problem, if you tell them that it's it's not so bad, it's it's going to be okay, like, don't worry about it, that is a very detrimental thing to tell somebody. Because if I come up to somebody and tell them I have a, a problem and they, they say, it's not so bad, don't worry about it, you, you'll get through this. What you're doing is you're basically diminishing their problems and making them feel weaker. That if if I if I am so torn up about something and you dismiss it as as insignificant, that means that I feel like something insignificant is getting to me and I can't even overcome something insignificant. Yeah. Most of the time, people are coming to you not because they want you to, you know, solve their problem or dismiss it or you know or reassure you that it's nothing, they want you to be there to listen to yeah. what they're saying. And you don't have to understand how they feel, and you can communicate that, and it's true, because their experience is not going to be exactly like your experience. As close as they may seem, you can offer advice, but you will never know how somebody is feeling. So to say, yeah, 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 you're fine, don't worry about it, it's nothing, is incredibly harmful to somebody's, you know, yeah. mental health. What they want is just better just to hear the other person. Just be there and just, just be there for him. Be there instead of trust me on this. Like, ah, oh, you're fine. You'll be fine. That's yeah. nothing. Trust me on this. If they're coming to you, it's and they it's because they trust you, and they they don't want you to. F they may ask you for for how to fix it, but don't just try to solve their problem because it's you know from an objective standpoint because you don't there's because because these kind mental health is a subjective landscape and you, it's hard to navigate what you don't know but when someone comes up to you with issues or problems or depression or whatever just be there that's you know that's what they're seeking they're seeking you know comfort with with just being present with somebody just to know that somebody is aware of their issues. So, my man, that was a good question. Um, yep. The next That's one is cool. also pretty damn good. So, um, this one is from Durant. And uh, I adore Durant. Durant is somebody who's uh, been in my chat for many, many years as when I was streaming. And somebody whom um, I sincerely appreciate because this, this is um, an example of being able to disagree and being passionate about your arguments without having to tear someone down, without having yep. to, you know, attack somebody, because I don't always agree with Durant, and, and Durant won't always agree with me. But we have a very passionate discourse that has nothing to do with attacking somebody. But here are the questions. So 
Again, appreciate the comments on the show, uh, though they were still a little bit defensive side. Well, you're you're attacking me with stuff, so I got to defend myself. You know, <laughs> uh, two questions for this week. So number one is, how do we feel about the in-game taunt slash emote system? Has CDPR considered actually adding additional emotes, maybe utilizing existing character models to save the effort of making new ones, giving the player the option to choose the ones they want, and possibly making them an optional resource sink? So I guess dropping all those scraps or gold that you've been hoarding. Edit not saying that they should do it, just trying to pick up some interesting questions to pick the brains of Bourja while he is on the show. Uh, second question, uh, we'll get to that one after we tackle this one real quick, but yeah. Yeah, for this one, uh, I feel like it is something that I've seen more and more people ask about. I, th I, just, I feel like we're just missing a simple hello emote, which uh, I feel is something that should be added to the game and, and is needed. And I've been kind of... Uh, putting some emphasis on this and hopefully um we will do that for um you know sometime in the future maybe it's not the highest priority but for sure i would like to for this system to be a little bit more developed um i know that um, what arena does in an interesting way is that you are able to use emotes in terms of like stickers um that kind of say like good play and stuff like that that would be a cool way to monetize it. I don't know if we really want to copy the idea one-to-one, -one, but I would see that as, as some way of evolving this. But when it comes to the, the basic pool of um, you know emotes in terms of like communicating with the other player, it would be nice if they were developed a little bit better and there was a little bit more variety in those. But I wouldn't want things to be kind of behind, let's say, like a scrap paywall or something like that. Um... But yeah, I feel like we're still lacking a little bit on the on the basic ones. So I would like to have those for sure. Like, I don't know, good game, but not in a sarcastic way. Yeah, that's the thing. And hello, they're all and see ya or whatever. They're all jerk moves. They're yeah. all jerk moves. Um, but look, at the same time, even if you did put a hello, like Magic has a hello, and you know how many people spam hello when when they're in a position of power? It's like hello. Hello. I know. Hello. I'm like, so it doesn't matter. Or good game. Yeah, or good game. No matter we, we what. We played three cards and he's already good gaming. Basically, you miss one land drop and it's suddenly it's a like, good game, loser. It's like, oh, come and on. It's like, good game, good game, good game, yeah. good game. But Look, you can always mute someone in, in, in any of the games, which is which is fine. You could, absolutely. Now, I don't because I like to know who the jerks are so that when I do beat them, oh, it's an emote if fest. If they do it like three times, I just mute them. Uh, no, I, I like rogue. I said, I like to know who the jerks are because if I do turn it around and I do manage to win after they were emoting like clowns. Then you go. Oh, I go off, baby. Oh, I get all of my emote RPMs up to high revving and I just <laughs> click that mofo like crazy. Just like, beep, 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 beep. Hello, hello, hello. That's, that's, I, don't say, I don't say a damn thing. I don't emote or do anything um, and until that moment so when i did when it's that last Beautiful. card and i'm about to like eared in them or jam a fat freaking card or, or you know or surrender their whole row or something like that ooh, click 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 and that's <laughs> when i hope i'm dandelion but still it doesn't matter what is said because if you're in a salty mood no matter what somebody emotes to you they could emote to you hello, handsome prince, and he'll be like, what an asshole! Like, how dare you? <laughs> like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, they could... Because you're already tilted. You're already tilted yeah. and triggered, man. Doesn't matter what they can say. They could say, like, nice shoes, governor, and they'll be like, what a dick! Like, so it does not matter. It's all about how the mood that you're in when you're receiving the emotes. So, yeah. adding a hello isn't going to change people's, you know, <laughs> change people's perception of the, 
you know, the flavor of the emote that's being sent at you. Because it could be a hello, but it could be a hello sprinkled with a little bit of yeah. FU on top of it, right? So Exactly. All right. Last question, also from Durant. What do we think about the existing GG system? Does CDPR ever keep data on player GG habits to observe how well the community encourages others' players? And, and finishes it off with, uh, thanks again. I look forward to this week's show. Always good to carpool with you guys during the community. Eyes on the road, Durant. Exactly. Eyes, Eyes on the road. On the freaking road. Hands 10 and 2. Buckle up. <laughs> All right. Watch the pigeon. All right. You're good. Yeah. For GG, of course, we keep an eye on it. Uh, I feel like we like it because it's an additional thing that gives players uh, resources. And um, yeah, everybody almost GGs. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's a super common thing. Um, it's a nice little like uh, courtesy guest. And, and I also feel that maybe the players that don't do it they're either already like super tilted and they probably aren't going to play any more games after that one or they just don't um gg things like mel or or lippy or keltulis or anything that they hate <laughs> and that's the that's the only kind of thing that they do out of the norm when the norm is actually always gging your opponent look let's call this what this is all right the gg system is not what it was intended to be. The GG system was a way for CDPR to sort of give your opponent and yourself a pat on the back and say, hey, thanks for playing. Here's five gold. Not much, but the more you do it, the better it is. It benefits everybody. However, it has been weaponized by the community because how many of threads that you see out there, discussions do you see where it's like, I just don't GG mill. They can go f themselves. I don't <laughs> gg them at all. It's like for sure have that voice. <laughs> well, you know what I. But basically, like, so <laughs> what's funny is that okay, like it has become this coping mechanism for people to say that they've got the last word, and it's like, yeah, you may have beaten me, bucko, but you ain't getting five scraps, bucko. Like that's kind of how that goes. It's basically. A little bit of a last bastion of hope for them to say, like, I got the last word. They ain't getting shit from me. So that's what it's become. It's become less of a proactive pat on the back. Thanks for playing. Good job. And more so of a like of of basically, you know, like you see a costume of a kid that shows up at your door on Halloween and you're like, uh, no candy. Get the hell out of here, bucko. I don't know. I see <laughs> bucko every time, but they're all buckos. But that is what it's become. The GG system has legitimately become a, a uh, like this, this last chance sort of, you know, um, uh, like in, in Overwatch, when you kill, uh, when, when you kill Junkrat, he leaves like, bombs at his that you know you have to avoid like he leaves like these like live grenades on his body after he dies that's what it is it's just like you beat me but here's a i'm not giving you a gg it's rolling a grenade yeah exactly it's no gg it's fu i want an fu button that's what i want and and the fu can stand for like fun undeserved so so that's kind of also the problem that social media always had with adding like a dislike button instead of all, only a like button. Like, so people can say like they dislike something. Same goes with Reddit and voting and downvoting. We always Dude. go for the downvoted ones. But I mean, uh, do we really need to spread negativity? No, we really no, don't. We but don't, but uh, it, it will spread either way. Like people just won't use it that's for it. a positive aspect because they can be, you know, a dick about it. It's <laughs> such a fascinating, co- like people out there also with like having all the discussions about GGs along the lines of stuff like, well, besides the like 
it's against my religion to you know gg a mill deck or whatever <laughs> like whatever the hell they want they want to say or like i if i see Colgrim, i just don't gg okay cool that's fine but then there's a bunch of discussions where it's like why do people not gg and this and that and this just gigantic sort of yeah you know diatribe that they like nail to a church wall and be like here's my doctrine about gging and etiquette and this and that dude it's seven gold either you get it or you don't you don't have to go into like these hyper analytics and and philosophical don't write a thesis about it yeah it's just somebody doesn't want to gg you i don't gg certain people and my favorite ones to gg are the ones who throw their phone out the window after i'm about to win and they disconnect because when i when that game is done after like uh, an error occurred and your opponent disconnected like with one card left to play and i'm winning i gg those people because when they log back into the client they get a nice little message at the top of their thing saying Blake sent you a GG and they're like, "All oh, right, he beat me because I'm a doofus and I and I rage quit like a like a doofus, like a bucko." So <laughs> anyway, that's exactly. My... I always GG because I don't want anyone going on Twitter, Reddit. I plays against Burza and he didn't GG me. Look what an asshole he is. Well, I mean, listen, um, yeah, it comes with the it comes with the oh, community I, manager. I want I... that. I want that reputation. I want to be the no. <laughs> I want people to be like. I played against Flake and he didn't GG me. What the hell? I always tell people like, I'm like, if I could, I would just, I'd, I would rather, I would, I would rather send you a thousand scraps and not GG you than GG you because to you it's more about the principle because like you know it's a it's a ego stroking thing. It's like he didn't GG me. What a you know? Do you know who I am? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know and I don't care. Like it's all good. It's a game. Like it, you don't have to GG me. I don't care either. Like it's not it doesn't break my heart after the game if I don't see that notification that I got 7 gold. Like I'm like doesn't doesn't hurt my feelings. I will GG almost everybody I play against because I want people to get more resources in the game. My favorite line is I'm like I'm going to send them a GG so they get better so they have more resources to make a better deck. <laughs> like like that's <laughs> kind of part of it, but Anywho, yeah. that's it. That's all. Easy. Mailbag is done. Man, this we week. blew past another milestone for this one. Yeah. Whatever. Too bad, Alias. Yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah, it's a, it's a long one, but a good one. <laughs> I is... mean, the topic itself was was. I could quite talk extensive. for that again. Cards, man. I'll talk for about cards. Forever. And I also feel like we breezed through the topic very quickly. I know. <laughs> well, I saw the you did you did the uh, again for those. Uh, unaware i woke up late because i wasn't feeling well and pavel put together the the shift like the shift notes the, the the notes and stuff for the the show and i saw how many questions were in the mailbag this week and i know how how we dig into these real deep i'm like yeah this is gonna be a long one but uh, it was a great <laughs> one and unfortunately the physical versus digital ccgs dude we can do like a i would do a five-part series of yeah. Okay, let's talk about economy. Let's talk about the fun factor. Let's talk about the competitive scene. Let's talk about meta analysis. Like you can t- go on forever about this stuff. But hey, if you guys out there have a topic that you want us to dig into, please let us know because we're just we're just talking about what we particularly are passionate about on any given week. And but we want to know what you guys are passionate about, right? So please let us know topics that you guys want to yeah. hear. We will we will do it. We will absolutely do it. Exactly. If you have any topics, send us to our way. You can do it through any means. You can do it through Twitter. You can do it on Reddit. You can DM me on Twitch. You can DM me on Discord also, like wherever you want. Feel free to reach out if you have any topics that you want us to discuss. 
more than happy to talk about card games in any form. And if it's only Gwen related, cool. If it's all card games, cool. If it's games as a whole, also not a problem. Damn right. Damn right. Friends, I love you. Pavel, I love you. I love you too. Wow, you said I love you too, to 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 oh friends. Okay, you didn't say to I everybody watching. So all right, well, I what I say, ninety eight percent, ninety eight percent of you. I 98%. love you. I love ninety eight percent of you. That's a fair. I love estimate. you all. Thank you for watching, uh, or thank you for listening if yeah. you're on Spotify. Um, yeah, and remember, remember. Use the code FLURSA5, 983shop.com. We didn't have it this time, and already this episode has been way too long. But yeah, cop that merch. Dagon Rumor Reporter. Don't forget about it. Yeah, I love you all. Love you, Flake. Um, yeah, if this show was too long, it's because I did the script, and I don't know how much time it would actually take. I just took everything and compiled it very nicely and quickly. Not our problem. <laughs> it's Alias's problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, friends. Don't forget, you're not losing. If you're learning, keep playing the game. And you might win. We'll see you next time on Florza. Bye. Exactly.